It's better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. You're listening to an audio teaching from Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church located in Pasadena, Texas, and it is our mission to save the lost, equip the saved, serve both the lost and saved, and to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting at the beginning of a book and working until the end. If you would like to learn more about our church, you can find us at connectedtojesus.org or check us out on Facebook at Cross Connection Church Houston. We pray that this teaching would grow you in the grace and love of Jesus Christ our Lord. focus of the book of Hebrews is to reveal that Jesus is greater than everything in Judaism. Uh, And it was really for the initial readers so that they uh, would not be tempted to leave Jesus and go back to those things. And the author focuses on three main things that Jesus is greater than. Jesus is a greater person. Jesus is a greater priest. And Jesus has a greater purpose in life for those who believe in and follow him. In the chapters 1 through 4, at least the majority of chapter 4, the author of Hebrews makes a great case for Jesus being a greater person than any person in Judaism. He reveals that Jesus is greater than any of the prophets in Judaism. Jesus is greater than all of the angels. Jesus is greater than Moses, who was seen as the probably the greatest man in Judaism. He was greater than, than Joshua. And the last time we were together in the book of Hebrews, we finished the this first section of Hebrews focusing on Jesus being a greater person than anyone else in Judaism. And now we're going to start this second section of Hebrews, which focuses on Jesus being a greater priest than any priest in Judaism. And really, to be more accurate, I kind of just picked person priest um, because, you know, they they flow better. But it's really, he's focusing on the high priest. You know, so everything that we see in this section is not just priests in general, but the most important priest of all, which is the high priest. And really, if you would think about it even deeper, most of the people at that time would have thought the first high priest, which was Aaron, was the greatest high priest. And so as we're looking at people that Jesus is greater than, He's also greater than Aaron, the high priest, and any high priest that came after Aaron. Now, as you can see from the outline, uh, this is by far the largest section in the book of Hebrews. The first section of Jesus being a greater person has three and a half chapters. And the third section, where it focuses on Jesus providing a greater purpose in life, only has three chapters. And here in this second section, where Jesus is a greater high priest, has six and a half chapters. So twice as long as the first section, twice as long as the second section. The author is spending double the amount of time really wanting us to understand this very important reality of Jesus being a greater high priest than anyone else. And this really shows whenever you look at a book of the Bible, wherever the author spends the majority of his time, whatever he focuses the majority of his time on, that's the main thing he wants you to leave with. You know, his readers, I'm sure if he were to say, if you're only going to walk away with one thing from reading the book of Hebrews, I want you to walk away with the truth that Jesus is a greater high priest than any other high priest that there ever was. And really the reason for that is because this is the greatest reason his readers should not go back to Judaism. Remember, that's the problem here. That's the, the real reason for this letter. These initial readers, they were you know, kind of coming to this place where they were considering leaving Jesus and going back to Judaism. Leaving Jesus and going back to the sacrificial system, back to you know, the high priest and all the things that go with it. And so this is the thing that the author wants these readers to understand that he realized, you know what, the Jews, they place a huge significance on the person and work of the high priest, and they need to recognize that Jesus is greater than all those that they used to look to. You see, at the heart of Judaism is the sacrificial system, and the most important person in the entire sacrificial system is definitely the high priest. It was only the high priest who had the role of mediating between God and man, 
It's only the high priest who was able to make sacrifices for the sin of the nation, for all who follow Judaism. It was only the high priest who was allowed to go into the presence of God, into the Holy of Holies, to sprinkle blood on the mercy seat in order to atone for the sins of the nation. So of everyone involved in the sacrificial system, the high priest by far is the most important person because he has the most important role and he's the only one who's allowed to accomplish that role. So for the Jews back at the writing of this letter, you know, the high priest was one of the most important people to them. A.W. Pink wrote this about the impact that the high priest made on Jews at that time. He says this, No part of the Mosaic economy had taken a stronger hold of the imaginations and affections of the Jews than the high priesthood and that system of ritual worship over which its occupants presided. The gorgeous apparel, the solemn investiture, the mysterious sacredness of the high priest, the grandeur of the temple in which he ministered, and the imposing splendor of the religious rites which he performed— All these operated like a charm in riveting the attachment of the Jews to the high priesthood. So the writer of the Hebrews, he knows something very important, that all the things his readers in their former life, in their former practice in Judaism, the area where these readers would be most tempted to return to Judaism, the area in which his readers would be most tempted to depart from Jesus and believe that or doubt that Jesus is the greatest would be in this area of the high priest and the work that he did within the temple and the sacrificial system. And because of that, the writers of the Hebrews, he spends more time making a case for the fact that Jesus is greater than any high priest than he does making a case for anything else. He wants to really emphasize this, and that's why he spends six and a half chapters dealing with this very important truth. He wants us to know, he wants his readers to know, hey, Jesus is the greatest high priest of all, and he's going to give us a lot of reasons why. You know, and this is something that I love about the book of Hebrews. You know, as I study through this book and read this book, this is one of my favorite things about this book. And I mentioned it when we first started the overview of the book. It's because no other book of the Bible deals with the details of Jesus being the great high priest except for the book of Hebrews. Now, a few other books of the Bible, they will mention that Jesus is the high priest, but that's about it. They don't get into any of the details of why he's so great. They don't get into any of these details that we're going to see here in the book of Hebrews. And so what we're going to go and look at in the next six and a half chapters concerning Jesus as the great high priest is definitely unique to the book of Hebrews. And if you've never studied this book before, you're definitely in for a treat because you're going to discover things about Jesus that no other book of the Bible deals with. And so you're going to learn things if you've never studied this book before that you probably never heard before, they didn't know before about Jesus that I'm hoping will encourage and bless you. Now, something I think is important to note about the outline that I gave you for this book is that really it's more of a general outline than a specific outline. I wanted to pick one that would just kind of pick fit on one slide. I mean, if I got really specific, we could have an outline that takes up four or five slides. But the reason I bring that up is because under this section of Jesus being a greater high priest, I have six main things that the author deals with that kind of tell us about how Jesus or what area Jesus is a greater high priest in. Jesus is greater in sympathizing, greater in qualifications, greater in order, greater in covenant, greater in sanctuary, and greater in sacrifice. And the thing that I want you to understand is I just looked at the verses where the uh, author speaks about these things, and I just picked kind of the main thing that the author deals with uh, concerning Jesus's greatness. But understand that within each one of these things, the author has a lot more to say of reasons why Jesus is great. So it's not just six things. Those are just kind of the the main things. But as even as we'll see this morning, as we look at this first one, there's several things that the author is going to bring out about why Jesus is the greatest high priest of all. And so as we go through these six and a half chapters, we're going to see a lot of reasons why Jesus is the greatest high priest and just ultimately why Jesus is the greatest period. Uh, And I hope that it encourages you as you discover more and more about this amazing role of high priest that Jesus 
has for us. Now, when you read through the book of Leviticus, there are many specific things that the high priest was supposed to do. There are specific things that the high priest was meant to wear. And all of these things were significant, but they're also symbolic. And I kind of debated whether or not to start this whole study because we're going to spend six and a half chapters looking at things about the high priest to kind of just start with giving you a blow by blow of what the high priest was, uh, his role, what he was meant to do, what the, the clothing was symbolic of. And I decided, you know what, what we're going to do instead of starting with all those things is the author is going to be giving more and more and more reason for why Jesus is greater than any high priest before him. And when he does that, each time he speaks of a reason why, he's going to be referring to a specific role or a specific thing that the high priest was responsible for. And then he's going to be showing, and here's why Jesus is even greater than that. And so what I've decided to do is that each time as we go through these six and a half chapters and we come to a specific role or responsibility that the author is claiming Jesus is greater then we'll look at, at that moment, that role. Uh, and by the time we get through all six and a half chapters, you'll have a good idea of the role, the responsibility, the significance, the symbolism of the things that the high priest did. Uh, and so instead of doing it all up front, we'll kind of just go through it uh, as we go along through these next few chapters. And so this morning, we have the first reasons that the author is going to give to us for why Jesus is a greater high priest than anyone else, and we're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16 this morning. So let's start by reading those verses and see what we can learn from them. It says this, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now in these verses, the author gives us two reasons why Jesus is a greater high priest than any other high priest. And those two reasons are, first, because Jesus, the Son of God, has passed through the heavens, and second, because Jesus sympathizes with our weaknesses because he was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Now, we're going to spend some time this morning looking at these two reasons uh, and what they mean so that we can understand why Jesus is greater than any other high priest. And after we look at these two reasons, you'll probably notice I read this, that the author then goes and shares with us two things that we should do in response to this. As we understand these two reasons for why Jesus is a greater high priest than anyone else, it's like, okay, what do I do with that information? The high priest says, well, there's two ways in which we should respond. The first is, let us hold fast our confession. And the second is, let us come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So let's start by looking at the first two reasons why Jesus is a greater high priest than any other high priest. And notice here that the author starts by making an important general statement about Jesus. He says, seeing then that we have a great high priest. Now, if you read through the Old Testament, you'll read about all sorts of different high priests starting from Aaron and, and continuing after that. And one thing that you'll never see is that none of the high priests throughout the Old Testament were ever called a great high priest. And so in this general statement, right off the bat, the author of Hebrews wants his readers to understand, hey, when I'm talking about Jesus as the high priest, I want you to understand I am referring to him as the great high priest. Why? Because I'm going to build a great case for why he is greater than any other high priest before him. And so uh, he starts with this general statement of the great high priest, and then from now on, he's going to give reason after reason after reason, specific reasons for why Jesus is the great high priest. And so now that he's made this general statement, the first reason he gives to us for why Jesus is a greater high priest than any other high priest is because Jesus is the Son of God who's passed through the heavens. 
Now, the author of Hebrews is writing to Jews, Jews who were very familiar with the role, with the responsibility of the high priest. And so he makes statements without really feeling the need to expound greatly upon them, without the need to kind of explain a lot of things. Now, for us who might not be as familiar with the high priest, the sacrificial system, you know, all the things that go together with Judaism, you know, you read this and think, man, it would have been nice to get a, a little more explanation. But he's writing to people who would have already been very familiar with all these things. And so he makes statements that he knows, hey, if you understand the high priesthood and the sacrificial system, you're going to understand the point I'm trying to make here. And so for us this morning, I'm going to take a little time to explain some things about the high priesthood so that with each one of these things, the author is telling us that we actually understand what he means and then we can understand why Jesus is a greater high priest than all the high priests before him. So the specific role of the high priest that the author is really addressing right here that we need to understand is really one of the most important roles that the high priest had. It was a role that once a year, the high priest would go into the presence of God as a representative of the people, and he would offer an atoning sacrifice for their sins. Now, in order for the high priest to accomplish this very important role, he had to pass through five different areas of the temple. And I'm going to give you some pictures so you can kind of get a picture in your mind of what I'm talking about. The first area the high priest would pass through is the door to the outer courts of the temple. And this was a place that any person who was Jewish, any person who practiced Judaism, they could come into this outer court. It was known as the court of the women. And this is really as far as the women were allowed to go. They could go into this court, but go no closer to the temple. The second area that the high priest would pass through is the door leading to the court of the Israelites, or also titled the court of the men. And this was as far as a man who was not a priest could go. Remember, the only priests were from the tribe of Levi. There's 12 tribes, so 11 tribes of men. This is as far as they could go. If you weren't a priest, then you couldn't go any farther than this. The third area the high priest would pass through is the court of the priests. And in the court of the priests, as you would assume, only priests were allowed to be in there. And this is where the altar was. This is where the, the labor was. This is where the animals were killed and sacrificed. And it was only the priests who were allowed to be in this portion of the temple. Now, the fourth area the high priest would pass through is the door to the holy place of the temple. And actually, not every priest could go in there. There were a lot of priests, and you had to be basically kind of on this schedule. Only a few priests had the privilege at any given time to come in and be a part of serving the Lord in the holy place. And you had the menorah that they had to add the oil to. You had the table of showbread where they had to continue to swap out that. You had the altar of incense where they would come and offer incense. And so this was a huge privilege of saying, you know what, this year on this day, you are going to be the priest who gets to go offer incense to the Lord in that. And so that was a smaller group that got to go into the holy place that the priest would pass through. And the fifth and final area that the priest would pass through was the veil to the holy of holies. Now, the Holy of Holies is a place where the Ark of the Covenant was, the place where God dwelt between the cherubim, as the Old Testament tells us. And guess what? The high priest was the only person who was allowed in the Holy of Holies. No one else, no other priest was allowed to go past that veil. If they ever tried to, God would strike them down dead. And the high priest only was allowed to go there one day out of the year, the Day of Atonement. That was the day that the high priest would go. He would make a sacrifice in the altar where the, the court of the priest, he would bring the blood through the holy place into the holy of holies, and he would sprinkle that blood on the mercy seat, and that would atone for the sins of the nation of Israel. And when he was done, he left. He didn't hang out there for a long period of time. He left, and guess what? He didn't get to come back for another year. So the only the high priest one time a year had the privilege of coming into the presence of God 
in the Holy of Holies. And in order for him to do this very important role of atoning for, covering over the sin of the nation of Israel, he had to pass through these five different areas in the temple. And notice that every time he passed through, less and less people are able to go where he goes. First, everyone's able to go. Then the women are stopped. Then all the men can go, but then only the priests can continue. Then only the priests who are scheduled to be in the holy place. And then only the high priest himself. No one can go with him into the holy of holies. So as he passed through the barrier, he's all by himself doing this very important role. So that's the specific role of the high priest. What he had to pass through to accomplish that role. That the reader's that were initially written to would have fully understood and what the author is referring to when he tells us that, hey, Jesus has passed through the heavens. You see, when the author makes this statement, Jesus has passed through the heavens, he's saying Jesus is greater than all the other high priests who passed through all these five areas of the temple in order to get to the Holy of Holies. Well, so what does the author mean when he says Jesus has passed through the heavens? Well, something we need to understand is uh, what the idea of when it came to this term heavens was at this time. You see, when the Jews spoke of the heavens, they're really speaking of three different things or, or three different things they could have been referring to. And to make sure you knew what they were referring to, they called these three different things the first heaven, the second heaven, or the third heaven. You know, when we refer to heaven, you were typically thinking of, you know, the place where God dwells and, you know, where we're going to go after we die. But, you know, they would say, okay, if I'm speaking of this type of heaven, it's the first, this one is the second, this one is the third. And the first heaven for them was just the sky and the clouds. So as we look up and, and in our terminology today, we would kind of say the atmosphere here around the earth. And, you know, when they look up, they see the sky and the clouds. They're talking about the first heaven. The second heaven was beyond that, where we have the stars, where we have the planets. So we would talk about in our day the, the solar system. And the third heaven is the heaven that we would typically use that phrase for, the place where God dwells. The dwelling place of God where he sits on his throne. And we actually have an instance in the Bible where Paul speaks of the third heaven, kind of making this emphasis of, hey, you know, I know that we have our first heaven in the clouds and the second heaven in the stars, but I'm speaking of the third heaven. And I'll read to you what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, 2 through 4. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. So Paul is speaking about himself in this, and he's talking about the fact that he was taken up to see the third heaven, which he refers to as paradise. Why? Because it's truly the place where God dwells. And the things that he saw are inexpressible for men to speak of because he saw heaven. Uh, and so, you know, the third heaven is speaking of this place where God dwells on his throne. So now when the author says Jesus has passed through the heavens, plural, he's speaking of the first heaven, the second heaven, and the third heaven. He's speaking of the fact that Jesus has passed through the clouds, our atmosphere. He's passed through the stars and the solar system, and he ultimately ended up in the dwelling place of God at the throne of God. And the author of Hebrews is just speaking of something that the Bible clearly reveals that Jesus did. You know, this is one of the things that you know, we often don't really emphasize enough. We, we love to look at the cross and see Jesus' death, and we love to look at the empty tomb and see his resurrection. But 40 days later, Jesus ascended. You know, and he ascended with his disciples watching literally him float from the ground into the clouds out of their sight. And the author is speaking of the reality that he ascended out of the first heaven, the atmosphere here, out of the second heaven, the stars and the planets, and he went all the way back to the throne of God. And this is something that we see through the word of God. So the point that the author is making when he says Jesus has passed through the heavens is he's wanting to make a huge contrast between the high priest and what they passed through versus 
what Jesus as our high priest has passed through. You see, in order for the typical high priest to get into the presence of God, which was in the Holy of Holies, as we looked at, they had to pass through the five different areas of the temple. And when they finally did pass through those different areas, they only had a short amount of time that they could be in there only one day out of the year. But when you contrast that with Jesus, you clearly see Jesus is far greater than any of the high priests because Jesus didn't pass through the areas of the temple here on this earth to get to the dwelling place of God, to get to the Holy of Holies. He did something far greater. He passed through the heavens. He passed through the clouds and the planets and the stars, and he went to the actual throne of God in heaven. Jesus didn't just go there for one day. He went there, and he stayed there permanently. He's still there now. That is where Jesus is, seated at the right hand of the Father at the throne of God there in heaven. And the reason that Jesus was able to pass through the heavens, the reason he was able to ascend to the throne of God is because he's the Son of God. And this is what the author brings out as well. Not only did Jesus pass through the heavens, it says Jesus passed through the heavens, the Son of God. He is this unique high priest because not only is he 100% man, he's also 100% God. See, Jesus wasn't just able to ascend to heaven. He was ascending back to heaven. He was going back to that which he came and left to come here to pay for our sins on the cross. And no other high priest can say that. No other high priest can say, hey, I'm the son of God, because no other high priest was. Now, something important to understand is the temple here on earth, really, the Bible speaks of as just kind of a picture or even uses more terminology of, of a shadow of the actual real throne in heaven. And so as we look at the things in the temple here on this earth, it's kind of just this shadow, this picture of what's actually real in heaven. So the high priest, they only got to enter the picture or the shadow. They never got to go to the real thing. They only got to be there for one day out of the year. But Jesus is a greater high priest because he didn't just pass through the things here on this earth. He literally passed through the heavens to get to the actual throne of God. And he dwells there permanently because he is the son of God. So the first reason why Jesus is a greater high priest than any other high priest is because Jesus is the son of God who passed through the heavens to the actual throne of God and continues to stay there. And that makes him so much greater than all the other high priests because they just pass through the areas of the earthly temple that are just a shadow of the real thing and they could only stay in the presence of God for just one day out of the year. You know, I think when we look at so many of the things that we see here about Jesus and our high priest, this is one of those that should just bring encouragement. That you recognize my high priest literally sits at the right hand of the Father at the throne. It's not someone who's here on the earth, who's going into a temple that is kind of a shadow of things. No, he actually is in heaven. And when you start thinking of the mediator role and the intercessor role and, and all these other roles that we're going to be looking at about the high priest, oh, it makes so much bigger difference, the fact that Jesus is there at the throne with the Father doing these things for us. And how foolish it would be for anyone to say, yeah, I think I'll leave that high priest to go back to a different high priest that we see in Judaism. And this is what the author is wanting his readers to understand. You're thinking about going back to Judaism? Hey, you're looking at, hey, who's the high priest right now? Who's the one who ultimately is, has this role of atoning for my sins and, and mediating between God and I? And the author wants you to know, oh, no, no, no. You already have the greatest one right now. In Jesus Christ, you have what is greatest. Do not be so foolish to abandon what is greatest for something far less than that. The second reason why Jesus is a greater high priest than any other high priest is told to us in verse 15. It says this, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. So as we looked at this important role that the high priest had, where they would go and they would make a sacrifice for the sin of the nation of Israel on the Day of Atonement, and when they did this, they would take that blood 
of the sacrificial animal and they would bring it into the Holy of Holies. And the place that they would sprinkle that blood is literally the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. It's referred to as the mercy seat. And if you studied through Exodus with us, then you understood all the intricacies of the Ark of the Covenant. But you have these cherubim, which really represent the judgment of God and they're looking down. And beneath that, you have the law, the Ten Commandments. And so here's the law. Here's the judgment. We've all broken the law. And between it is this mercy seat, this place where God gives mercy. Why? Because a shed blood was given to pay for the fact that we've broken the law. And all this is pointing to the fact that the judgment of God is upon everyone. And now Jesus Christ has shed blood for us on the cross, pays for the fact that we have broken the law. And so the high priest, he sprinkles this blood on the mercy seat in order to atone for the nation of Israel. But it wasn't something that could, you know, do a once and for all atoning. It just kind of lasted for the year. And the next year, another day of atonement came and this process was fulfilled again. But here's the thing. The high priest, before he would go in and make atonement for the sin of the nation of Israel, he had his own sin to deal with. And so in Leviticus... He has to make a sacrifice for himself before he can go in and sacrifice for the nation of Israel. And not only does he have to make a sacrifice for his own sin, he also has to fully cleanse himself. So he has to sacrifice for his sin. He has to do a full cleansing of himself before he can go into the Holy of Holies, into the presence of God, and make a sacrifice for the nation of Israel. And the Bible says if he doesn't do those two things, sacrifice for himself and cleanse himself, when he walks into the Holy of Holies, he'll be struck dead. And so this was a very significant and serious thing that he needed to get right himself. Why? Because he's a sinner. Every high priest was a sinful man. And this was one of the reasons, you know, when they came, they were meant to be a high priest who sympathized with the nation of Israel's weaknesses and failures and sins. That it wasn't to be a mindset of coming in there and you know making this huge sacrifice and doing all this work and bringing in this blood and sprinkling it on the mercy seat and the whole time thinking, I can't believe these Israelites sinning again. What's wrong with them? Who do they think they are? Can't they just get their act together? It wasn't to be this judgmental kind of, who are these guys who can't get it right? It was to be a sympathizing high priest who recognizes, I understand how weak they are. I understand that they've blown it again, time and time again this year, that they have failed, that they have sinned. Uh, I get their weakness. And for the high priest, he understood the weakness because he was weak and he had failed and sinned as well. And so there was to be uh, a good high priest was to be a sympathetic high priest in doing this important role. With that role in mind, I want you to notice what the author of Hebrews says about Jesus, the greater high priest. He says, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. So like the other high priest, Jesus, he can sympathize with our weaknesses. And the reason that he can sympathize with your weaknesses and with my weaknesses, the author tells us, is because he was in all points tempted like we are. And because he was tempted like you and I are, he has the ability to sympathize with the temptation we're going through, to sympathize with our weakness. But here's the big difference. The big difference between all the other high priests and Jesus. Yeah, they had sympathy. They could sympathize because they were tempted. But the difference is Jesus never gave into the temptation and they did. The difference is Jesus never sinned, but they did. And that's a huge difference. Jesus is the only sinless high priest, which obviously makes him a much greater high priest than any other one. Now, every other high priest that sympathized with the weakness of others, they really did that because they themselves were sinners as well. And so they could sympathize with the fact that you gave into a temptation because so did they. But here's their problem. They really didn't have any ability to help you overcome it. And this is where Jesus is also greater, not just greater in the fact that he never gave in to temptation, that he never sinned, but the fact that he now knows how to help us overcome those temptations that we face. Because he faced them, but he also overcame them. He knows how to help us not give in to our weaknesses and sin. 
Now, some of you might be thinking, how can Jesus sympathize with my weakness? How can he sympathize with my temptation since he never gave in to them? You know, for many, there's this thought that, well, how could Jesus really know what I'm going through? He never gave in to these things that I've given in to. Well, C.S. Lewis, I think, gives a great response to that kind of thinking. He wrote this. A silly idea is current that good people do not know what temptation means. This is an obvious lie. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. After all, you find out the strength of the German army by fighting against it, not by giving in. You find out the strength of a wind by trying to walk against it, not by lying down. A man who gives into temptation after five minutes simply does not know what it would have been like an hour later. That is why bad people, in one sense, know very little about badness. They have lived a shelter life by always giving in. We never find out the strength of the evil impulse inside of us until we try to fight it. And Christ, because he was the only man who never yielded to temptation, is also the only man who knows the fool what temptation means. We think, well, Jesus, he, he can't sympathize. Well, actually... He knows what it's like more than any of us because he never gave in. Because once you give in, it's done. But if you resist, and you know you resist those temptations, and it gets harder and harder, and these things keep coming, Jesus is the only one who knows what it's like to have the max amount of temptation because he never, ever gave in to it. He knows what you're going through. He knows how hard it is. You know, I think sometimes we just think, oh, he just is so disappointed and, you know, he's just so upset. And no, he sympathizes. He was here. He went through those things as well. He recognizes, I know how difficult that is. I know how hard it is to say no to that. I know how hard that temptation is to walk away from. He, he experienced them. And because of that, he sympathizes with us. When he approaches us, it's not this judgmental, how dare you? It's, I know how hard it is. But here's the other side of the coin. If we will look to him, not only we have the wonderful truth that he can forgive us for all the times that we've given into those temptations, but he's also the one who can say, I can help you get through them. I was someone who didn't give into this temptation, and I have the ability to show you through the power that I give you through my spirit of how to get through them as well, of how to not give into them as well, which makes him a much greater high priest than any other high priest, because that's what we need. We don't just need someone who says, oh, I sympathize with you. Well, thanks. Can you help me get through it? No, I don't really have much for you, but I'm in the same boat as you. I sympathize that you're struggling. Well, I need someone who can tell me how to get past this, who has done it himself. It's not just theory, it's real. And Jesus is the only one who you can look to to say, hey, he's gone through and overcome every possible temptation that we will ever face, and he can help you and I overcome that as well. So not only is Jesus a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses, who can sacrifice for our sins, but he's also one who can help us overcome our sin and not give in to some temptation. So the second reason why Jesus is a greater high priest than any other high priest is because he is the only sinless high priest which enables him to not only sympathize with our weakness, but also to help us overcome them like he did. So here we see two great reasons, and we're going to see a lot more as we look through these six and a half chapters. But the author just starts, two great reasons why Jesus is greater than any other high priest. But before he gets into every single reason, he just says, here, now let me just give you two responses. I've given you two reasons. Now I want you to give you two ways in which you should respond to these two important reasons. Since Jesus is the Son of God who passed through the heavens to the actual throne of God and continues to stay there. Since Jesus is the only sinless high priest, which enables him to not only sympathize with our weaknesses, but also to help us overcome them like he did, here are the two things we should do. The first one is in verse 14. It says this, Let us hold fast our confession. Now the confession that the author is telling us to hold fast to is really the confession concerning Jesus. The Greek word here translated confession means to express agreement with another. It speaks of the expression of one's allegiance to something that they have a deep belief in. 
Now, the recipients of this letter, they have already made a confession concerning Jesus. They already have a, or had a, a deep allegiance. Why? Because of a deep faith, belief in who Jesus is as God and what He has done for them on the cross. But, as we've noticed, they've been considering abandoning that confession. They've been considering abandoning Jesus and going back into Judaism. And their main reason is because of the persecution that they're suffering and facing. But that's kind of where they're at. And so the author is saying, you know what? Hold fast to that confession. I know that you guys already confessed Jesus. You already believe in Jesus. But you need to hold fast to him. The Greek word here translated hold fast means to lay hold of and cling to tenaciously with the idea of seizing it and never letting it go. It's quite a, a strong word. And so since Jesus is the Son of God, who's passed through the heavens to the actual throne of God and continues to stay there, and since Jesus is the only sinless high priest which enables him to not only sympathize with our weaknesses, but also to help us overcome them like he did, we should hold fast to Jesus. We should cling to him tenaciously and never let him go. You know, something that I think you, you come to realize is the more that you discover about how much greater Jesus is than anything else, the more there is this desire to say, I want to hold fast to him. I want to cling to him. I want to tenaciously hold on and never let go. Why? Because the more I understand the greatness of Jesus, the more I understand how much I need him. The more I understand how I can't live without him. And that's something that the more we walk with him, the more we recognize I can't get through this life without him. He has all that I need and I want to hold on to him. Not just, you know, like someone holding on to someone's hand, but I want to grab hold and cling with everything I got and not let go because I recognize how vital he is to my life. I recognize how important he is. And this is the challenge because, you know, these readers, they've been kind of loosely you know, barely holding on anymore, and they're thinking of letting go. And the author's like, whoa, whoa, what are you thinking? Cling tenaciously. Do not let him go. He's the greatest thing that you ever have had and ever will have, and it'll be the biggest mistake you ever made to let go of Jesus. So the first thing we should do in response to Jesus being greater than any other high priest is hold fast and tenaciously cling to him. Never let go of Jesus. Never abandon Jesus. Never walk away from Jesus because He literally is the greatest thing in your life. And so you should tenaciously cling to Him. The second thing we should do in response to Jesus being greater than any other high priest is in verse 16. It tells us this. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So here's another reason. Since Jesus is the Son of God who passed through the heavens to the actual throne of God and stays there, since Jesus is the only sinless high priest which enables him to not only sympathize with our weaknesses, but also to help us overcome them like he did, <laughs> we should come boldly to his throne of grace where he presently is and will continue to be. We should come boldly to the throne of grace because Jesus sympathizes with our weaknesses. We should come boldly to the throne of grace because it's there that Jesus promises we will find mercy and grace to help in time of need. Now, I think it's important to understand what boldly coming means and what boldly coming does not mean. And let's start with the negative, what it doesn't mean. Boldly does not mean proudly, arrogantly or with presumption. That's not how you and I should approach God's throne. Because our boldness is not in ourselves. Our boldness is not in something that we have done. If it was, if I got to go because of how great I was, or some great thing I had done, well then yeah, I could maybe come there a little more arrogantly. Hey, look what I've accomplished for you, God. Here I am. Bless me because I'm so great. But the reality is, I don't get to approach God and His throne because of anything that I have done, anything that I have accomplished, nothing I could ever do would ever enable me to come to that privileged place of coming to His throne. 
You see, the only reason that you and I can get to the throne of grace is not because of what we do for God, because of what Jesus has done for us. And that's why it's the throne of grace. That word grace, unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor. It's a throne where that is where you get unmerited, unearned, undeserved things. I don't get there because I earned it. I come there because Jesus earned it on my behalf. So boldly means to come in humility. Come constantly. Come without reservations. Come freely. Come with confidence. Come with persistence. But ultimately understand you're only able to come because you are in Christ, because you have placed your faith in Him, and now He is giving you access to His throne of grace. And this is another thing that makes Jesus a greater high priest than any other high priest. Remember, as we looked at the high priest, what he had to pass through in order to get to the Holy of Holies, that wonderful place where the presence of God dwelt. And each time he passed through another barrier, less and less people could continue with him till finally he's the only one. And guess what? He had no power, no ability to say, hey, other priests, come on in the Holy of Holies. Hey, men over there, come on in the Holy of Holies. It's amazing in here. Hey, ladies, come on. He didn't have the ability to take anybody into the presence of God. He could only go once himself. And if he didn't do things right, he himself was going to die in the presence of God. And so all the high priests, besides Jesus, had no capacity to give anyone else that wonderful privilege. They had it limited one day out of the year, but they couldn't pass that on to anyone else. But Jesus, one of the things that makes him so great, you know, when he died on the cross, something happened. And it was very, very symbolic and clear. The veil in the temple. So you have the holy place and separating the holy place from the holy of holies where no one could go except the high priest was this huge veil and from top to bottom it's ripped in half and so now for the first time the holy of holies is open and people can see. Well, why? Because God is saying Jesus now because he's died on the cross for our sin has given everyone who believes in him this privileged access to God at any time. So much greater than any high priest has ever had before him. But Jesus is saying, hey, I'm the high priest who is able to give you the privilege of the high priest even greater than any high priest before because you can come into the presence, the throne of God at any time you want. Come boldly to the throne of grace. This makes Jesus so much greater. But you know, one of Satan's great strategies is to discourage us, to try to hinder us, from taking advantage of one of the greatest privileges we have. And Jesus says, here, come boldly. Get grace. Get mercy. It's available anytime you need it. And the enemy wants us to believe, oh no, you can't have access to Jesus. He's unapproachable. He doesn't want you to come after what you just did. Do you realize the kind of sin you just committed? You think you can come to Jesus? And if we don't buy into those lies, we'll think, well, you know what? Why come to Jesus? He doesn't have any power to help you. He can't do anything for you. He can't help you in what you're going through. And all these lies are trying to keep us from accessing and taking advantage of the wonderful privilege of coming to Jesus' throne where we do find strength, where we do find help, where we do find grace, where we find mercy, where He gives us all we need. So the second thing we should do in response to Jesus being a greater high priest than anyone else is come boldly to Jesus' throne of grace every day. Because if you do, He has a promise. You will find mercy and grace to help you in your time of need. You know, we all need mercy and grace every day. And Jesus gives us this wonderful invitation. Just come boldly. You don't have to be afraid because it's not based on your merit. It's not based on how good you've been. You just come because I have made it possible. I have paid for all those reasons and all those sins and all those things where you feel you're not worthy. Yeah, you're not worthy. But I have made it possible for you to come and just come. So in these verses, just the very first three, the author gives us two great reasons why Jesus is greater than any other high priest. First, because he's the son of God who has passed through the heavens to the actual throne of God and continues to stay there 
Second, Jesus is the only sinless high priest which enables him to not only sympathize with our weaknesses, but also to help us overcome them like he did. And our response to these two wonderful things is hold fast tenaciously, cling to Jesus, and to boldly come to Jesus' throne of grace every day. Now, you know what? The only reason all of this is available These are wonderful privileges, these are wonderful truths, but the only reason any of it's possible is because the fact that Jesus sacrificed himself on the cross. We wouldn't be able to come to the throne of God. We're sinful people. The only reason that we as sinners can come to a holy throne, to the throne of God, the righteous judge, is because Jesus Christ paid for our sin and took the judgment that our sin deserves. And when we put our faith in him, God then forgives us of those things, judge Jesus instead of having to judge us, which gives us that wonderful access to his throne. And so like we do at the first of every month, and as Jesus commands us to do, to remember him by taking communion together, we're going to do that this morning. And and I just want you to be thinking about these wonderful things that Jesus is as high priest and the huge benefit that comes to us like getting to go to the throne of grace anytime we want, it comes back to the cross. We want to remember that's where it all came to. That's what happened. That's what Jesus had to accomplish and do for any of this to be possible. And so as we take time this morning just to remember what Jesus went through for us, the sacrifice that he gave for us, his blood that was shed for us, and even as we are looking at the high priest, all of that is symbolic. Everything that we see in the sacrificial system is pointing to something that God was going to send, and that something was a person, Jesus Christ. That blood that was sprinkled was pointing to the fact that God himself would come and his own blood would be shed so that all of us who broke that law would not be judged by God, but we'd be able to escape that judgment because Jesus took the punishment for us. And so as we just even think of that role of the high priest and the fact that Jesus is our high priest, but he's also the one who sacrificed himself, what a great thing for us to remember this morning. So I'm going to have the worship team come on up. And they're going to lead us in a song. And I just, you know, I encourage you, you can sing the song. Or maybe, you know what, there's things in your life right now where you have yet to confess them to the Lord. Sins that you've been committing that you haven't gotten right with God about. And so I would encourage you as this song is being sung, just to get before the Lord, just you and Him, quietly in the, your own heart and mind. And just ask for His forgiveness. So that as we come and partake of the communion elements, that your heart is right before the Lord and that you have confessed those things before him. And if you didn't grab a communion cup uh, with the wafer and everything inside of it when you came in, uh, you can go ahead and raise your hand and and we'll get one of those to you right now uh, before we do that. Does everyone have one? All right, so we're just going to have a time of worship. If you want to join in worship, please do. If you want to just quietly pray, please do. Uh, And then I'm going to come back up and then we'll uh, partake of these things uh, together. So let's go ahead and have a song of worship.